And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. We are taping this, I know, about 72 hours away from the national title game. We obviously talked a lot about the Ohio State-Alabama matchup the other day. We will talk a little bit more about it later in the show, but we're going to talk a lot of SEC stuff. We're having uh, one of our favorite guests on, that is David Ubbin who covers Tennessee for The Athletic. We will hit on really a seemingly hot situation there going on with Jeremy Pruitt and and what exactly is going on there in Knoxville. There's a lot of speculation swirling. We'll get into the weeds on that. We'll also talk a lot about uh, the Texas hire of Steve Sarkeesian and where that program is right now. That, I think, is something that uh, David, before he came to The Athletic, has a lot of uh, roots in the state of Texas from his time covering in the Big 12. So he has really good perspective on it. All right, let's get to David. We are pleased to be joined now by The Athletics' excellent Tennessee Volunteers writer and host of our SEC podcast, Football and Grits, David Ubbin. And David, we brought you in for one specific reason. Explain to us, what the heck is going on in Knoxville? I'd like someone to sit me down and explain it. I mean, in short, uh, in November, Tennessee began an internal investigation uh, shortly after hired uh, legal representation from uh, Mike Glazier in Kansas City, uh, who you know has done a ton of enforcement work, started working with Mike Slive decades ago, uh, also worked as an NCAA investigator himself. So he came in uh, along with Kyle Skillman, his firm in Kansas City, um, and so they're essentially investigating some uh, improprieties within the program, whether that's impermissible benefits to current players, uh, recruiting violations, um, a variety of, of things and kind of rumors there of exactly what uh, they are looking for or what they have found so far. But basically, it's an internal investigation. The NCAA is not involved yet, uh, and that started in November. It leaked um, just about five minutes after the kickoff of the Texas A&M game um, as Tennessee is playing out the, the the final, what ended up being the final game of its season. Um, you know, that becomes public. So it'd been going on for about a month at that point. And we're sitting here five, six weeks later. Uh, it is still going on. And there seems to be no official end in sight. And in the meantime, Jeremy Pruitt's future seems unclear you know, Philip Fulmer has said a couple times, you know, that he supports him. Uh, he's made some passing references to next year in a, in a bowl release, talking about using the bowl as a spring to, uh, 
2021, but, you know, everything you hear is that this is, you know, he's not going to be the person that's the only person involved in this decision. So that, you know, doesn't mean a ton in terms of, you know, trying to act like that's enough to say, well, Tennessee's not making a change here. And so in the meantime, you know, this investigation, everyone you talk to that I've heard from believes that this is an investigation that is seeking to either, you know, find some improprieties in Jeremy Pruitt's program to either force a settlement of a $12.7 million buyout and get rid of Jeremy Pruitt or fire him for cause. Will it be enough to find it? You know, again, that's what the investigation's for. We'll see. But this has been going on for a while. They tried to kind of play it off early on as, well, this is just routine compliance. This stuff happens all the time. Similar things do happen all the time, but not everybody's hiring Mike Glacier to come in and and uh, and do those things and pay, pay him $500 an hour to talk to players and uh, coaches and staff and pulling players out of meetings the night before the A&M game. All these things that are happening, um, it's not routine. And so at this point, exactly what is happening, exactly what the future holds at Tennessee is unclear, but the trend lines uh, are fading away from Jeremy Pruitt at the moment. Uh, no question in that. Is, that. is that a good summation of where we're at? Probably about as clear as we're going to get at this point. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm curious as to your read on this. I mean, somebody could look from the outside and go, okay, this just feels like Tennessee is looking for a way to get out from under a contract that, that Phil Fulmer had extended, right, not that long ago. And they're looking for justification and trying to throw Jeremy Pruitt under the bus. Is that too? Is I don't know. Is that a fair assessment or is that too blunt? Well, you can never you can never know what the actual intent of the investigation is explicitly. But I can tell you that a lot of people believe what you said inside the program. That definitely is something that that folks believe. And I think you hold that up to scrutiny. It makes some sense. Now you hold that up that plan up to scrutiny and you say, okay, that makes sense in the short term, but then on the flip side, okay, are you going to find too much <laughs> and you're going to get in trouble with the NCAA? And then if you're trying to hire a new coach who just watched you, you know, in theory, uh, squeeze a coach out of, you know, either that's a settlement or that's firing for cause, um, you know, that's $13 million, $5 million, whatever that is, uh, does that make it harder to hire a new coach? Or a new coach is going to be wary of that? I, certainly, you'd have to say yes, right? And so, yeah, I think that explanation makes sense, but the plan seems like one with a lot of holes. And so, exact intent, you know, are there other things? I don't know. But I do know, you know, if I'm sitting here just sort of speculating and looking and reading what I see in front of me, if Jeremy Pruitt went seven and three or eight and two in 2020, is this investigation happening? I, I don't believe that it would be. How did he go so quick? I mean, you've you've covered a lot of different schools around the country, and we all know that that there's fan bases that overreact, and but but this seems pretty extreme, right? I mean, I remember at the end of the 2019 season, he he goes from losing to Georgia State at the beginning of the year, and everybody wanted him gone then to kind of redeeming himself with the winning streak to end the year and the bowl victory, and then a big start to this recruiting class that just signed, mm -hmm. and everybody's convinced he's the savior. And then one bad season later, they want him gone. I mean, what a roller coaster. Is it any, it's just like, is there any, should, there should be no wonder at this point why Tennessee has struggled for over a decade now. Yeah, it's tough because I, the Georgia State game was the first time you know, where fans were, were really serious about, I don't know about this guy. 
You know, in in 2018, you know, he beats Auburn on the road, and people are you know very excited. They know the program has lots of holes. I don't think fans were unrealistic about that. They knew like this is going to be a long road up, and they're a little concerned about it, of course. Um, but you get to five and five, you beat Kentucky, and there's all this Jeremy Pruitt for SEC Coach of the Year chatter, and then they lose handily to Missouri and, and Vanderbilt at the end of the year, and, and people are disappointed, but you know they sort of understand at the same point. So we, we saw some stuff in year one that makes us uh, excited about the future. In 2018, you have Georgia State, and that he lost a lot of goodwill, uh, that Georgia State game. That, that's where, a lot again, a lot of people are looking around saying, I, I don't know about this guy. And then BYU is a good team, but they you know, busted coverage. They lose in overtime. Sort of fans were mad. I don't think anybody was was you know raising alarm bells as as that as a, a loss, but it wasn't good. And then in the midst of all this, you're just getting your 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 butt beat in by Alabama, Florida, and Georgia, who are the three programs that Tennessee is going to be judged by. And so you have that issue, and then you have the six game winning streak, which at the time you know winning six games in a row in the SEC is not easy. But you know I was saying it at the time. I think fans were wary of it at the time that hey. They didn't really beat anyone. Like six games in a row is is not nothing, but it's also no top twenty five wins. You're talking about Mississippi State, uh, Kentucky, Missouri, and you're winning all these games. You know, you're, you're rallying, coming back from um, deficits. You're winning these games in in very close fashion. A couple big wins in there, um, but they're not exactly resounding. So you're winning games, and people are are excited, but there's still a kind of a nervousness. You start two and zero in twenty twenty. And then the wheels fall off. Tennessee loses six games in a row. That ties the uh, school record uh, for the most losses, three and seven at the end of the season. It's a step back. I think ultimately, Tennessee fans, the realistic ones, never thought Tennessee was going to be you know hand in hand with Georgia and Florida right in year three. But I think it's fair for them to say, I don't want to pay X amount of dollars in the middle of a pandemic and watch Tennessee lose by four touchdowns on its home field to Kentucky. That seems fair. If you're trying to progress the program, that says, man, that's that's not where Tennessee should be in year three. So it's not that they're, you know, he doesn't have enough time to, to rebuild, but it's that it feels like for Tennessee fans, they haven't gotten anywhere. You sit there at three and seven, and another year, you know, at this point, it's tough to sell much in terms of uh, the future. So... You know, I, I think there's a reasonable case to keep him. Uh, I think there's a very reasonable case to try and go go in another direction. But, you know, it, it, it seemed like it happened fast. But if you were sort of watching uh, with your nose up against the glass, like I have been over the last three years, you know, fool's gold is not a fair argument for what the end of 2019 was. But certainly... Um, not as impactful as, say, a win over Georgia or Alabama or Florida would have been. And they've been competitive really once with Alabama, but Tua got hurt in that game. And as much as the losses to Georgia State and all those things, as much as Jeremy Pruitt said this year, they're closing the gap against those teams. The scoreboard says otherwise, and and fans see a team as well that it doesn't play a very aesthetically pleasing brand of offense. They have a coach a head coach and a defensive coordinator who specialize in covering defensive or in coaching defensive backs, and they can't really cover anyone. The list of problems is is long, and it's led to where Tennessee is at right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. David, let me ask you this. Um, just you laid out in, in pretty stark detail about what has happened there. I'm curious though, Like, so let's say that there was no investigation, just on the merits. Jeremy Pruitt, has been there three years and year three came in a pandemic. This was the guy that Phil Fulmer handpicked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it looks like he's struggling now, look, if there's a, if there's a full blown scandal, that's a different story, but just on the, on, on actually just being the football coach there for three years. And like I said, this is not a normal third year at all because it is happening in a pandemic. I'm not saying you completely ignore it, but to me, this feels like you are going to bake a pie and you are going to pull it out like 10 minutes before it's supposed to. Like, you don't know what the pie is going to take. Like, it's like a recipe you've, you're trying for the first time. But the one thing you know is probably, I mean, is it too soon to make a conclusion? I guess only the people there really probably inside know for sure if they've seen that many things to go, this is just not working out. But I do feel like, again, you know, three years is not a lot of time, and if it's a normal three years, that's one thing. I guess I'm just a little surprised that that so many people who believed and all of a sudden just are like, all right, that's it. It's not working, and, and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's too short-sighted to look at it that way. No, I think that's the best case for keeping him at this point, is that you had a... a you know, I wouldn't. I don't know that 2018 you could call a pure year zero, but Tennessee didn't have a roster capable of doing much of anything. You know, five and seven was about where people kind of thought they'd be in year one. And so, you know, it, 2020 was a kind of a make or break year for him. Obviously, the COVID issues are one thing. You know, the flip side of that coin is everyone was dealing with COVID issues in Tennessee. Once the season started. Didn't really have very many. They had pretty much their their whole roster. They had a couple little issues, but for the most part, their roster was intact. While that was not the case for a lot of teams uh, around the SEC, so you're right. I think considering how the three seasons went, you really only had one real year that was a pretty good year um, that he's had. That that's 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 sort of the best case for keeping him. But again, 
I think it's not so much about for the for the people who don't want him to have a year four. It's not so much about um, you know not improving fast enough or not uh, winning enough games or all those things. It's more that it seems like they've gotten nowhere in three years. It's not that the progress is too slow. I think they just saw so much of a backstep this year. Uh, in again. You're going, you're going, and you're, you're losing by four. The Kentucky game was the biggest one, but I think when you're preaching patience and patience, he needs more time. And you go to Arkansas, where Sam Pittman inherited one of the worst programs. You know, the program is is in bad of a state as anyone but Vanderbilt in the SEC, and they beat you pretty soundly. That patience argument dries up in a hurry when people sit and watch that, uh, and so. I don't necessarily disagree. Again, if if he comes back, that's going to be the case that they play, is that, hey, this has not been a normal three years. We knew this was going to take a long time. You just sort of have to keep the faith. We've invested in this guy. We're sort of, you know, to borrow a a poker term, we're a little pot committed at this point. Um, We're going to give him another year and see if he can make some progress. But again, I can't blame the folks who, again, watch that Arkansas game and say, if you're preaching patience, what what happened to Arkansas? How come Arkansas can look like a totally different team overnight and we're sitting here losing as a 26-point favorite to Georgia State, playing a pretty average Kentucky team and getting you know our heads beat in and, and having an offense with a fifth-year senior quarterback that, that isn't looking like anything that, that fans want to come see? You know, again, I think from a from a financial standpoint, a year four makes some sense. But for the people that are 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 not happy with what they're seeing, I don't think that you can say that that's an unreasonable um, perspective as well. I think the last thing we need to talk about on this, and maybe should have been the first thing, is we all know who Tennessee fans want as their next coach, right? They want you. Know, well, is it split? yeah, in theory. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? So you want Hugh Freeze, but if you end up running out. Jeremy Pruitt because of NCAA violations, can you really turn around and hire a guy who was committed, who who was found guilty of NCAA violations in his last SEC head coaching job? Like, could they really be that brazen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ultimately, like, that would be an audacious decision, but I don't know that that would make my top five or ten most audacious things I've ever seen in college sports. You know, Hugh Freeze is going to be polarizing. If the, if Tennessee gets to that point where they're having to decide, there's going to be people that feel confident and feel passionate about Hugh Freeze needs to be the guy. You know, he's he's the you know Nick Saban killer and uh, and all this offense and you know he's won ten games everywhere he's been. He came to Liberty and he did all this stuff. Like the case makes sense. It's a lot of baggage, but whatever. Uh, but he's going to be polarizing um, because again, some of the NCAA issues, um, you know, some of the the sort of I guess you'd say thin-skinned um, uh, leanings that that really felled Butch Jones when he was at Tennessee. I think that makes some people nervous, and so he's going to be polarizing. I've said that if you just want to beat Nick Saban or you want to not have uh, you know go four and eight. I mean, Gus Malzahn looks a lot like Hugh Freeze without the baggage to me. Um, Hugh Freeze will be a, a popular name. I don't think then it's going to be a, a unanimous name uh, or somebody that fans, you know, it's either Hugh Freeze or Bust. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting search if it gets to that point. Uh, I think a lot of people would be happy with Freeze. A lot of people would be a little nervous. A lot of people would be, I can't believe we hired this guy. A lot of people would be shaking their head at the audacity. But as we all know, win some ball games, and by next October, if Tennessee's sitting there at 5-1, and one, no one will care.
it's an interesting situation. Like if they go on that, I was trying to think of, you know, I, I don't see Billy Napier jumping at Tennessee if some of the other jobs didn't entice him, especially the situation that seems like it would be at Tennessee. Um, I think Stu's point is interesting about freeze for that very reason. Um, I do think free A's would win there. I, I don't mm-hmm. have any doubts in my head that he would get it going. But, you know, I just, um, it's an interesting situation there. I'd like to maybe pivot with you on from this because before you came to, to Knoxville, you had spent a lot of time covering the Big 12 and had been in Texas. And Texas has a coaching transition that's going now from Tom Herman to Steve Sarkeesian. Just from your read on on everything and your perspective, is the situation uh, Steve Sarkeesian goes into now harder or easier than what Tom Herman had when he left Houston to go there following Charlie Strong? I would say similar, but the one thing that he has working in his favor is he's not being welcomed as the conquering hero. You know, Tom Herman had been like, you know, the golden boy for, for years. LSU wants this guy. Texas A&M wants this guy. All this stuff. Well, Texas, we got him. And, you know, start the, start the countdown to the playoff. I think the skepticism and the huh of Sarkeesian's hire, I think that will actually work in his favor um, because the expectations are a little bit lower. And I think, too, um, Texas fans over the course of the or Texas's program over the history of its of its uh, you know since they've been playing football, uh, Oklahoma has been a a better program, and I think I don't know that I would say that Texas has been humbled, but I think you have to look at them. I think there's an expectation that the peak Mac years is who Texas has always been, it's who they should always be. Um, but I think we've seen not anyone can just walk into Texas and win, and you know it. I respect the Texas you know, made this gamble and they're going to sort of own it and go all in with, we believe Steve Sarkeesian has uh, learned a lot from his previous stops and that he can get us going and, and get Texas into the playoff. That's, you know, they're sort of going all in on that, uh, spending, what, $24 million to to, uh, to jump in that boat. So, you know, in terms of, I think it's easier just because of the expectations are not going to be crushing immediately. Um, and I think that that can work in his favor. Um, in the SEC, and again, as we, we said before, you should definitely listen to David on Football and Grits. He, he brings on all of our SEC writers uh, from The Athletic. We're, we're, let, let's get your take on the hires there while we're at it. Um, you know, we haven't, I don't know if Bruce and I have even really discussed Brian Harson's hire at Auburn, like kind of how you feel about that and, in, and also the... Um, you know the, the the OC and DC he hires hires he made, including hiring away uh, Mike Bobo after Shane Bieber planned to keep Mike Bobo at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Well, I think for Brian Harson, you know, coming in as an outsider and, and no real ties to Alabama, that that was going to be the biggest uh, difficulty. Is can you recruit? Recruiting is so much about relationships. Can you get in there? Um, in the sort of uh, you know SEC pit of vipers of the recruiting world, can you get in there and make an impact? Because you've got to recruit on the level of Auburn, and, on the level of Alabama and Georgia, um, if you want to consistently beat those teams. And that, that's what he's being hired to do. I mean, Gus Malzahn wasn't a bad coach. He just didn't you know didn't win big enough. And so you know when you're firing a coach that you know consistently wins eight games. Eight or nine games isn't going to win it, so you got to recruit. And that was the, the, the biggest question. 
I think I'm a little perplexed by the the Mike Bobo obsession around the rest of the SEC uh, of you know why this guy who had the 90th best offense in the country last year is such a sort of a hot commodity over time. I think I'm a little perplexed by that, um, but we'll see. Different personnel, you know, different uh, setting. You know, we'll see. I, I think it's uh, it's interesting. There's no doubt it's interesting. Uh, I was surprised that Shane Beamer kept so much of the staff behind. I don't recall seeing uh, as many guys from a fired staff stick around, even though obviously Mike Bobo uh, left. Will Friend also left to, to Auburn. That was uh, that sort of lowers that number, but the decision-making is interesting. Um, so I, I think both of those, they've got a lot to prove, um, but uh, that's that's kind of where I land on, on those two guys. I think recruiting is going to be the biggest issue for Harson when you just haven't been in that world and you have to you have to stay in that world and, and sell something and, and develop those relationships in a hurry. I mean, the one thing when you hire a Saban assistant away, they know who they like. They know who they're looking at, and they've been talking to these kids for three, four years. Brian Harson is not. So that year one coaching bump will be – uh, or on the recruiting trail, you know, it might be a little bit tempered, but we'll see. But that's that's the my biggest question mark um, in looking at how that works out for for Brian Harson in year one and Shane Beamer. You know, sort of a wild card. I think it depends on the staff. I, again, I wasn't super wowed uh, by the Mike Bobo hire initially, and and we'll see. You know, who comes in and replaces him. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, David, I agree with a lot of the points you made, especially on Harson and the and the challenge of his transition. Before we wrap up, I wanted to get your thoughts. Obviously, you've seen Alabama uh, play Tennessee. You've seen them on mm-hmm. TV, certainly a bunch, I know. Um, are you convinced that they're just going to do what Alabama does, light up the scoreboard, and Ohio State won't be able to keep up? I am. I, I think, you know, you talk to people around the SEC and, and – Everyone thinks this is the best team Saban's had, um, which I don't. I think I was surprised by earlier in the year, but just the consistency and the unflappable, um, just nature of this team. I think what Ohio State did to Clemson to me speaks says more about Clemson and Clemson's offensive and defensive fronts than it says about Ohio State. I was a little bit iffy on Ohio State. Obviously, skill position talent is amazing. They're really good on the lines, but they won that game because they bullied Clemson. They were all over Trevor Lawrence. Um, they were running the ball with ease. Trey Sermon was running over them. And I think Clemson, you know, part of that is being somewhat untested by a, a pretty soft ACC schedule. Um, you know, nobody complained about Clemson getting in the uh, playoff. You know, they, they did what they had to do. But Ohio State's not going to be able to do on the line of scrimmage what they did to Clemson. That's why they won that game. I mean, obviously a spectacular effort from Justin Fields. He gets a lot of the headlines, Trey Sermon as well. But they won that game up front, and they're just not going to be able to do that to Bama. Uh, I think they're going to score some points, but I think Bama scores 40 like they do every single week, and I, I think it looks a little bit like a, like a 44-27 sort of game. I wonder who is con- which one of Saban's teams currently. Like, if this team finishes the deal, finishes it, I definitely think they should be considered his best team ever, in part because they did it during the COVID season. 
to go on. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't think when they announced the SEC was going to a ten game schedule, like nobody's going to go undefeated in a ten game SEC schedule. Not only did they go undefeated, they averaged fifty points a game. Um, yeah. But who, which which Alabama team is currently considered the gold standard of Alabama teams? I'd have to think about that for a second. <laughs> Am I allowed to vote for the 2018 team that got pasted in the title game? Because that's what I would have said. Well, it's interesting. You know, yeah, it both that one. It didn't end the way they wanted. There was an argument to be made for that one and for the 2016 team that had that ridiculous defense that would like had a pick six in every game or some sort. And mm-hmm. But they both lost in the championship. Yeah, it's tough because I don't think there's a clear... I mean, I, I would vote 2018. I mean, during the season, you're watching them. And, and that was kind of when they flipped the switch uh, offensively a little bit where you're just like, we've never seen this before in the SEC. And now a lot of teams look like that. So I wonder if the impact of that team and obviously the title game and all those things um, you know, will be lessened in time as we see more seasons like Tua's, like Joe Burrow's, like Mac Jones. I think we're going to see a lot more of this moving forward. But it's really tough to compare because, strange as it is to say, comparing the Saban Alabama teams from 2009 to 2013-14 to the last five years, it feels like trying to compare NFL teams, you know, from now into like the 90s because it's just the, the game has changed so much and they're unrecognizable in a lot of ways. So um, it, it, it's an interesting question. I don't know that there is a clear one. I mean, because like you said, it feels stupid to vote for one that didn't win the title when you've got you know a program that's won titles. But I think if you put all of Nick Saban's teams on the field against each other, and you got some cloning, and you got some uh, some questionable um, you know practices in terms of, of human rights and all of those things, <laughs> I like the 2018 team to win. Bruce, do you have a do you have an opinion on it? You know what I. I I don't think this defense is is close to one of some of the other teams. Now, their offense is better quite a bit, but I I'm still not sure that this is the best team. I just feel like we've seen a lot better defenses, especially in the front seven, than this group. So I don't know. Based on that, I'm a little hesitant to to think this is the best one. But we'll see. First thing they got to do is finish off the deal on Monday night. So. Uh, yeah, you might be right. I think this this defense has ebbed and flowed a little bit. You know, they're obviously struggling early on. The Ole Miss game was was ugly, um, but then they, they the, the schedule softened up a little bit. They tightened up a little bit defensively, and then you watch them. You know, Florida does some things, and and then Notre Dame. You know, push them around a little bit, um, a little bit, and and I think Ohio State will be the real test if they if they hold Ohio State under twenty points. I don't think there's going to be a question. Can they do that? I don't know that they can, but if they do, um, you know, you're going to have a, a, you know, we may have to revisit this discussion because this 2020 team will, will be up there with any of them. All right, David. Well, we appreciate you coming on this on this Friday. Um, enjoy your weekend. Hopefully Tennessee athletics doesn't ruin it for you with some, you know, yet another <laughs> news dump and, uh, and enjoy the game Monday night. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks David. All right, Bruce, the next time you hear from us, we will have a national champion in college football. We'll be coming on after that game. Um, We're into 2021, and and before we sign off this week, Bruce, um, Trader Joe's has been such a fantastic supporter of ours going back to uh, 2017 when we kind of relaunched the Audible, but when it was in between uh, homes. And pleased to announce that Trader Joe's will continue to be the presenting sponsor of the Audible in 2021. 
Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, obviously for us, they've been very beneficial to to uh, this podcast, but also it's 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 certainly a business that you and I both really love. So I don't know. I would if you haven't been in a while, go get the hold of the cones. Uh, your kids will love them for dessert, and there's a bunch of other really uh, staples that we get frozen foods wise that you just can't get almost any place else. So it's like. Um, you know, it's a great partnership for us because we have a lot of we have a lot of connection, and it's some it's it's a uh, it's a business we feel really really good about. Absolutely. So again, uh, really appreciate it. Uh, shout out to Trader Joe's, and we'll see you guys next time.